1: Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That is our mission. That's what this podcast is all about. And you know, I'm all about bringing you conversations with really great people who have uh, amazing experience and insights. And today is no exception. I've got a wonderful guest for you today. His name is Jolt Ola, and he has over 20 years of innovation and experience in the intersection of technology, data, learning science, and motivation. He's recognized as an expert on storytelling with data, gamification, learning, design, and analytics. And Jolt is a senior learning technologist at Amazon with a mission to enable people to make less content and more impact through the right combination of technology, data and learning. Jolt, as as I mentioned, over 20 years of experience in all of these areas and experience both with Amazon and AWS and writes prolifically with articles, both on LinkedIn and with different magazines on uh, many different topics around learning and development, gamification, data analytics, and so much more. And I'm excited to dig into some of these topics today. So Jolt, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me. And if you think that's uh, one person, we already in the metaverse, I'm actually three different people and writing in this, under the same name. So that's how I'm like in different sections.
1: Ah, Okay. So you've already figured out how to use AI to clone yourself and accomplish more. This is maybe this needs to be the topic that we go into today.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so I think it's either like someone who's been all over the place, sounds like, or someone who's just couldn't decide what to do with himself. So, well, we'll see how far we get. How, yeah. I'm definitely getting the conversation.
1: I'm excited to dig into this. You know, I actually, you know, first found you, a, a friend of mine recommended that I talk to you and sent me one of your posts that was gaining a lot of traction, going viral on LinkedIn about the six things L&D people need to give up. I want to go into that as well as some of the other topics and things that you cover. And I was just saying to you before we started recording that, you know, as I did research and prepared for this interview, sometimes when I'm interviewing people, I know they have a lot of experience, but it's hard to figure out like, what am I going to talk to them about? And with you, because you had so many articles and things out there, I was overwhelmed with the number of topics that we could go into because uh, you mentioned you cloned yourself and you're just putting out a you know prolific amount of content on things. I wonder if we could just start with a, a a little bit about your on your background and I remember reading a little bit that you you said, you know, when you got into this space, you were all about the art of creating great learning and you didn't want to be one of those boring people that was just all about the data, but you you went through a transformation and you've now become one of those boring old people, is that right?
0: Yeah, so it, 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 I think my background, I um, mean, it helps understand why I'm in these like four areas sort of that seem to be separate, but they're actually all connected. You'll see that uh, hopefully by the end of this conversation. So I, I studied as, as the geek guy. So I did a degree in computer science. So this is where the programming comes in. Back in, I don't know, 30 years ago, I, I built an artificial neural network and all that. So that was like a hardcore I'm um, sort of engineer computer science thing. And then I, when I graduated, I decided that I, I'm going to need people in my life because I'm not going to work with a computer all day. And so I did. That's when instructional design uh, degree and teaching comes in. And this is what's kind of like a split-minded, I think, approach that, that you see in my, in my writings and musings and all that. But it also helps me to see the world from different perspectives and not falling in love with only one side of things which kind of explains why I don't have so many friends. For example, risking, risking your podcast shut down right now, the whole <laughs> talent development just irks me sometimes, this development part, because people feel the ownership and control about someone else's development. And mm. this is not how I think the world operates. We're not developing. It's like a film in a black hole, or you know, the old times when you have the film in the, in the black room. That's development. I'm going to enable you, empower you, whatever it is, but you're doing it. It's not me. At least that's, that's sort of the, the starting point that I realized. And for the transformation itself, yes, I started out with, can I have cool tools like Flash and, and all these things, and XML, and back in the days, how can I make something exciting, bring content alive, games, that, that sort of games comes in. And everything was about the interaction and the flashy things. And I had fun. I don't know how much impact I made. So slowly, (laughs) when you you go to see real people taking courses in real context and see the business, that's when you realize that the effort that you put in sometimes with good intentions doesn't really translate into the impact that they expect. And that's when I started this transformation of becoming more like an old, boring person with data and, and science around it.
1: Right. Oh yeah, you're already shaking things up over here. I, I like it. I'm excited to give it get into some of these topics. And so, you already you talked about like this idea of development and the connotation that we're like owning people's you know careers or, or development and telling them what to do. Uh, you know, I've had colleagues I've seen who have you know changed their title to more like talent enablement. Maybe that sounds better to you, but maybe this is a good transition into. That post that I found you through, which was about the six things that L and D needs to give up, and I, I wrote a list of these things. If you need a refresher, to things like gatekeeping, and I think you said waiting for Godot tech, measuring only what we can, we have control over. So, can you talk about some of these things because I, I think this is something you know a lot of people might get some insights from, or maybe need to hear.
0: Yeah, so it was one of those link posts, LinkedIn posts where everybody was in my feed talking about the new year and what l and needs to pick up and learn, the new skills, and AI was like floating around and all that. So I decided, like, if everybody's talking about what we can add and we need to learn more, I was thinking about what we should not do anymore. What is something that we can give up? Because there's no way that we always build things on and, and never give up anything. So I started just thinking about what are the top five, six things that I would say we need to give up as, a, as an organization. And so, basically, these are barriers that sometimes mental barriers. It's not really like there's someone standing like in between you and the masses of learning. Mm-hmm. And things like through my career, I've seen this over and over again: as, as we're we're not not in control of everything. You know, IT business they decide what to buy technology like a large scale. So we're always waiting for the next shiny things, and called is godot tech because it's waiting for the Goto tech, sort of thing, like. <laughs> Oh, when we transition into this new LMS, or oh, when we have LXP, oh, when we have XAPI, now we can track everything and all of that. There's always something next that we're waiting for,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the big thing. And, not and that's, that's
1: going to that's be the big thing that's going to make everything great, right?
0: <laughs> but it's been going on for 20 years now. Like, when do we get to the point mm-hmm. when we actually don't have to wait for more technology? So, I mean, organizations when the IT has have, have a huge investment into one sort of big application on technology, And then you spend all your money on that and you have to use it for every little thing that was not designed for and by people who don't use it, like uh, leadership and that sort of thing. So that was sort of the go to attack thing. But I think the main point is that we are, and this is the development part, um, is that we don't own learning per se. And I can prove it very quickly because if for some reason we have the technology, coming back to technology, that you can just walk into a room, put something on your head and your skills just transfer, like a matrix sort of thing, transfer into your body and you leave. Like how many people would choose learning versus just getting things done and now they know what to do and how to do? Learning is a process that right now we know is the best way to get there. But just because we love learning, it doesn't mean everybody else loves learning. And we don't control that. They learn. What we need to do is enable and give them the tools And step out of the way, and one of those things of know when to say no, or get out of the way, literally, and just let them live.
1: Yeah, you also talked about measuring only what we have control over. That's that's something we need to give up. So people are, you know, there's a lot of buzz about measurement, but I assume you're seeing people only really trying to measure the things that they have control over and making excuses about the rest.
0: Yeah. So I just posted something like I think yesterday that went all over and. people arguing about it. All I wanted to do is just, I wanted to say what we're using and implementing in our team to measure the impact. And then whether you like it or not, you can use it or exploit whatever, but it it went all over the place complaining about different models. So the point was that that I had a little note in there saying sort of like, if you sit in a car, the vanity mirror is kind of blocking your view. If you take that sort of analogy into learning, that if you're only measuring what you have literally control over because it's, it's convenient, things like how many times people accept your course, completed the course, how much time they spend on it, that sort of thing, all about the course and content sort of consumption, that's the, the vanity mirror. It looks good. We can actually come up with fun things like how many hours have we delivered or talent to be developed and that sort of thing but it has nothing to do with the impact on the job. And so it's much harder to reach out, work with the business on figuring out what are these people actually doing on the job? How are they measured? And then how we can help them to move those needles. So we have to give up the control over that. We have great dashboards that looks absolutely fantastic based on what we produce. Because our, as an an organization, L&D, our value is not in the visible content that we kind of deliver and put on the shelf, but the Im- invisible change that happens on the job. And so if you will not track that, if you don't think about it, then then you're doing a disservice and that's when AI is going to be dangerous.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And So what about the race to build content faster? Why is that something we need to give up?
0: So that's something that I've seen now that AI blew up and especially this year, there's just millions of AI applications now, and it's almost like a mainstream thing, especially on LinkedIn feed. I see an organization moving into this space of how can we create things, content faster? Because the problem with today compared to like 20 years ago, and 20 years ago, there was maybe one release a year for like a it, an application. Mm-hmm. Today, we have like literally every hour there's a new release now. Yeah. We have new CI CD with cloud-based delivery, literally continuous. So the change is much faster, exponentially much faster. But our methods stay the same of how we collect data, we think about what the course should be like, what we put in the course, course content. And So if we're trying to speed up that process of how do we get more content and faster, then we're really racing against AI. And there is no winning in that one because I always tell people that if today you walk into the business and say, look, in six weeks, I'm going to have this excellent course. And I guarantee, let's say 100% that it's going to be so engaging and everybody loves that and impactful, let's say. And then someone else comes and says like, well, I can't guarantee 80%, 100%, but maybe 80% there, but I can give you something by tomorrow or in an hour through AI." Now, the business is not going to say, let's just wait six weeks and, and see what happens. Maybe cases when there's some legal applications of that. But other than that, let's just try to say what we can solve for tomorrow and then re- reconvene. And that is the, the the race that we cannot win. And this mm-hmm. is why I'm saying that we should, have, we should focus on more on the impact side of things rather than the content side of things.
1: Right. Okay. So not just like how fast can we get things out, but really thinking about what's the impact and, and we still wanna focus on quality and not just speed or new things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it starts with the measurement part because if, again, if you're measured by, for example, how much people like what you create, then you're gonna design for that, that number, that average you know, satisfaction rate and that sort of thing. And that's sometimes completely opposite of what you're supposed to be doing for long-term impact or behavior change. And so you're actually doing, you're using your own skills as a designer, but against what the ac- actual, the end result should be on the job. So this is where I think when we come, when it comes on LND and and think about our, our goals, it should not stop at delivery. I mean, even the old ADI model has an E in it, but that doesn't mean that they would actually have to stop evaluating on, you know, when the LMS stops, evaluation should be in based on, did we change something? Are people doing something differently? Are they better today than yesterday? Are they able to do their job faster, easier, more, whatever the things are, that's when we should be measured on.
1: Yeah. And so the last thing on the list was a stop of things that L and D people need to give up is sticking to what you're good at. So I assume this is all about getting out of your comfort zone and, and doing new things.
0: So this is, uh, it has, you know, different layers, but it's sometimes called the PowerPoint guy sort of syndrome where someone is really good at PowerPoint and then really gets just tagged and labeled as, oh, when you need content, go to the PowerPoint guy because he's going to make it real good and real nice. And so whether you're actually building impact or not, whether you're doing something for the business or not, your reputation is that you are the great PowerPoint guy, which kind of leads to two things. One is that you never get promoted because they really need you in that role. So you can create PowerPoint presentations. And the second one is that you're actually feeling good because you're valued, you have your skills, and you apply those skills all the time, but you never learn anything new anymore. And then kind of translate that into the learning part. If we teach the business that what we do is creating content, then they come to us when they need content. And if it's the last hour, because they didn't think about this before, then there is no way of leeway of oh, let's discuss with questions of what your needs are. Is it really your training? At that point, there is no time for that. You have to build out that relationship and start, you know, later on. But at that point, you just have to deliver. That's what you do. And then when you know layoffs comes and all all kinds of restrictions, what do we have to cut? Like well. We have content here. Let's just have fewer people and working harder.
1: Yeah. So it it is about like getting into different things. And there's going to be so many different needs in the business. Speaking of that, one of the things that you're known for, and we talked about this a little bit in your background, is using data for storytelling and using data for learning and development. So I wonder if we could go there and talk about, you could talk about the importance of leveraging data and where a lot of organizations might be falling short or not doing what they really could be doing?
0: Yeah, so this could be probably a week of conversation from (laughs) moment on about data. So one of the ways I think, I believe, to have a conversation with anybody else than learning is some sort of a common ground, and that's when data comes in. If you based on your decisions and actions and your beliefs of what you think it's good or what your preferences are, then it's going to be, a you know, collapse. Like there is no win. Whoever, you know, has a higher role or writes the check is going to win because that's what they prefer. So the only way to actually sit down and have, have a talk about what we're trying to do together as a common sort of vision and how we get there is if we have some sort of a data. So if someone comes in and it says we need training because people don't do X, and you say, "Oh no, I don't think you need that," then what they hear is, "I'm not going to do this job for you," and then it's like, "Why am I paying you then?" So instead of doing that, your answer would be, "Yes, definitely, we can do that. Let's see what the data says." So we actually focus on things that, that matter and impact is the biggest. And when you start collecting data and looking at data, the story is very different. Now you can see where something could make an impact with learning and when something cannot. And this is one of the reasons why data is important. And the second part is once you have the data, and this is, I think, the big mistake that um, technical people or data-oriented people do is that they think that once they have data, they win. And so Mm -hmm. all they have to just show this data. And that's when we come up with dashboards and reports and all kinds of fun things filled with numbers. And it still doesn't work and one of the reasons why i started last year with my team going through a whole basically year program of data literacy is to understand of of how you use data how to argue with data how to present how to tell the story with data so you actually make an impact it's your goal is not to be right and say like well i was right we're gonna heading into this like crash and we did but saying that bringing the data together telling a story that tells them and see the impact like hey this is what's going to happen if we don't stop now or change right and that's that's i think where we should we should focus on an our level it's less about statistics and machine learning and all kinds of, of high end sort of deep analytics but just understanding of how data works what you can do with data how you pick out sort of insights and tell the story that delivers some sort of action or decision. And it doesn't start with technology. It starts with sort of the mindset of thinking about of, of how you think about data and what that means, the language means technically.
1: Yeah. I was just going to ask you, you know, where do you start for L and D professionals that have been saying, like, yeah, I know we need to leverage data more. I haven't really been doing that much of it. I've been trying to take more of a, you know, consultative approach to how we think about creating programs, but I know we could do better. In leveraging data. What what do you think people need to be thinking about and, and how can they get started?
0: For us at least, there are two side or three sides of this. One is the learning design. Your whole process and mechanism of, of how you work needs to be relying on data, which means you need to work backwards from the business. And there are millions of, of various approaches for that. The simplest thing and probably most practical that I found was just Kathy Moore's action mapping or any sort of version of that. Technically what it means, and even Amazon has its own working backwards from the customer sort of approach, is that you start out with the very end. In this case, the business goals, look at the KPIs what the performance it needs, who are the people who can be affecting those directly, changing that or indirectly supporting that. And then come back a step and saying, OK, if we have these KPIs, what are the behaviors that we want on the job? And then start asking and digging about what, what is happening today in the, in the business, why people are not doing what they should be doing. And you realize that not everything is a training problem. This is one of the big sort of mistakes. If someone is not doing their job, then they need to be trained. Mm. There's a lot of other things that comes in. And you understand breaking apart like an onion thing. And all through that document and collect data of what and why we're doing and how do we know when we're changing it that it's gonna change. So that's your one aspect of the design process, going backwards all the way. And the very last thing is content for that. But the second part of it is 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 understanding what sort of a framework we can use because we don't have to do this from scratch. And so there are measurement and evaluation frameworks like Kirkpatrick level four, everybody knows that inside out because this is something that we've had been being for, I don't know, for ages now. If that works, use that. If you use something else, fine, but you just have something. You'd have to have something that guides you through. In our team, we use LTEM, which is Learning Transfer, Learning Transfer you know, Evaluation Model. And it's not worse or better or, or ranking, it's just you have to have a system that works in your organization, in your context. So you follow that. And the third part is, and this is where the data literacy comes in, of where you start to have business skills to understand how the business works, understand how you translate your learning world into the business, because they don't speak the same language. You can talk about learning all day long and learning objectives. That's probably not going to change anybody's mind on outside of our, our world. And so those are the things I mean, where do you start with the data literacy part? I always suggest books that start with how do you think differently about data? So I think Jordan Mora's book of how to be data literate with the three C's is a good start. And then the, the next part of it is just start doing you need any data. So this is not a spectator port of, sport of sitting and watching people playing on the field. Start collecting data start looking at what you have, start collecting insights from it. And if you need a little bit of experience, come to the ATD in May, and we have a session on a pilot dashboard, and you can sit down with others and figuring out whether the pilot was successful or not. Sort of playing the first, sort of slowly getting into the deep water of of, of data analytics, understanding what the numbers look like, what pitfalls you might have. And what misunderstandings so that of you might have with that?
1: Oh, excellent. And you mentioned you're doing that dashboard session at the ATD. Is that the conference in San Diego in May, the international conference?
0: Yes, it's uh, going to be in San Diego in May. It's um, it's a hands on exercise with tables. So it's a group of people, 10 people at the table, they're going to get a dashboard that actually printed out game board that looks like a dashboard. And we have going to have cards. And all we need to do throughout the session is decide on each card, which is a data card, whether these are correct or incorrect, or we don't know based on the data we have on the table. And and they'll see that it's not about you know life and death. It's not about knowing sort of statistical models. It's about thinking differently, especially working with groups, asking the right questions, and then digging deeper into data sort of like an introduction to data literacy
1: yeah it makes sense all right well i will also be at the conference i'm also speaking at the same conference doing a session on the five steps to owning your career in learning and development so we'll have to sync up and i'll have to i want to come check out that demo so i can learn more about about this work and if anybody else is planning on coming to atd in may make sure you go check out that session come check out my session come say hello yeah, Jill. So you also mentioned in there the learning transfer evaluation model or LTEM. I think that was the subject of the post you mentioned from this week that got just kind of blew up with lots of contention and and debates about the model. Is that right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So this is a model by Will Tannheimer and others, and and my post was just the model itself, and then six reasons why we chose the model and how we work with it. You can read this on LinkedIn, if you find me on LinkedIn. And then it just blew up and people started coming in on two sides. It, it looks like today's world is it's like a zero-sum game that you either win or lose. If your tool wins, then everything else loses. It's kind of like a weird like binary approach. And so half of the people were excited to find something else and they can try and excited. The other half... We're digging of why is it not why is it different? What's missing from it? Why is it not working and all that? I didn't I wasn't selling this, I wasn't sharing this to force anybody to use it. I just showed it that this is what we're using and here are the reasons why we're using it. And one of the things that that came all over on the post is that we already have other things, and if we implement it well, we don't need more, more frameworks. And I completely agree with that. That's what I said. If you have something that's working for you today, don't change it. Keep keep doing what you're doing. The problem that I've seen in the last 20 years is that some of these frameworks were not well implemented. So you can either try to fix those and figuring out why they're not implemented or use something else. And as we say here, Amazon it's a two-way door. You go in, you try it, you implement it, see if it works or not. If not, then drop it and do something else. That was uh, the whole sort of concept. And the reason why I like the the approach is literally because it's more granular and every role has almost like a way to get into and make a difference. So every person in our team has some sort of a, a say or a role that can make it better as they're going through the project. Even designers who generally don't have let's say, the large-scale authority to change what they're designing, they can move it up and finding a better way to approach, for example, assessment inside by moving from factual to more decision-making process and all that. And it doesn't have to have this model. You can use any model in the world, but you have to have this sort of guidance for every single person, every role. It's it's not a single-person game. It's a multiple-player game, and everybody needs to know how they play so that the end result is something more effective in the long run.
1: Very interesting. And yeah, we'll we'll put links to those uh, LinkedIn posts in the show notes so people can go check those out. I know you have more great posts going on on a regular basis. Maybe the last thing I wanted to ask you about, there's so many more things I want to ask you about, but you briefly mentioned AI earlier, and that's definitely one of the hottest topics out there in any category in industry right now as we're in the sort of the middle of 2023. Is there anything you would say that LD people should be thinking about or looking at with regards to leveraging AI technology right now?
0: I'm sure everybody has opinions because that's all we have <laughs> very opinionated people. Right. Yeah. Especially the, the LinkedIn feeds. And so I think what's going on with the AI today it's kind of like a hype that we had back in the early 2000s on. I think less of a huge extent, but more like if you talk about the learning part, it's about the LMSs. I remember when LMSs came out, everybody, every single person in LMD was talking about how this is the thing that they're waiting for. Online learning is going to take off and measure everything and assign everything and all that. And every question was like, what what kind of do you have? Are you planning to have on? That sort of thing. The last 20 years, every time as a consultant I walked into a business, they were always somehow between two LMSs and transitioning. It's almost like we tried this, didn't work, we went to the next one, we went to the next one. And so with the learning focus on things, I think AI is gonna change also not only how we design and deliver and think about learning, because even if you don't read anything, completely shut yourself out because it's, it's not secure yet or, or black box, This is all happening around us. And what you build as a product in whatever organization you have, you're going to compete with the world outside. So if you think about it, this is one of the things, you know, games. Back in the days, gamification came in and games and game-based learning, and everyone's excited about it. And you can have just a warm body in anywhere to give speech, and then you become an expert. But doing it well was a different story. What happened, though, is that Everything else outside, like your phone, has now games everywhere. You play everywhere. So they raise the bar. We L&D cannot just declare that we created a game and here's the game because it doesn't look anything like a game. It's the same with AI. We can't just say, "Oh, we have our things, our tools, and what we create is really clever when everything else outside on their phone is driven by AI and much cleverer than them, our little product, which is just static. So it's gonna raise the bar definitely. My only, I think, again, concern is how fast it's changing what we do without rails and, and guidelines, is that right now what's happening is that everybody is trying to see what can I use this for, instead of figuring out what actual problems we have, what we're trying to solve for, and then find the AI solution for that. We're going backwards. We have the solutions all over the place. We just have to figure out what the question is, and that's what's happening in our LinkedIn feeds. Of look, what I did with this AI. How cool it would be if we could use this somewhere instead of here are the five things I need to solve. What are the best way to solve that using AI?
1: So interesting, and there's just so much you know we don't know yet, and where all this is going, but. I appreciate you sharing that insight because there's so many things that we need to be thinking about. So many people that are experimenting with different things to, to figure out what to do and where to go. Okay. Maybe the last, last thing I wanted to ask you about, and then we, we've got to make time for our bonus Q&A. And I think you and I talked about this briefly the last time we talked is this concept of the metaverse, something that you know we're not quite there yet, but it's it's been a hot topic as well. And I know that are, there are some bigger companies that are really taking a look at how learning will live in the metaverse and how it'll be a big part of learning and development in the future. And you mentioned the beginning that you've already cloned yourself in the metaverse. So what's your thoughts on how the metaverse will impact learning and development and what could or should L&D people be thinking about right now to to start to prepare for that or to leverage it?
0: Yeah, so maybe we should have started this conversation with a disclaimer that they should not believe anything, what I say, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and especially if it's sarcastic <laughs> so back to our, our metaverse thing so i think right now we can't even agree on what it means yeah. let alone figuring out how to use it so somehow it it was partly associated with with um 3d somehow it's partly associated with just putting on something on your head and now you're in vr and that's metaverse because mm-hmm. it's not real verse yeah. And then somehow, for real estate, is taking off to buy land somewhere like a second life sort of thing. So I think the experiment is is fun, but it, it feels sometimes a little bit like the Wii. Remember that when the Wii came out, yeah, and everybody was excited, and we had so much uh, like fun time playing with these characters, like just just like hanging out in the air without any hands or something. But we were playing tennis because that was new. And it was exciting. Now, nobody cares about Wii anymore because they look at this thing. My, my daughter is 20 now, and she was like, this is what we played with 10 years ago? <laughs> oh, my God, this is like, this graphics, like, oh, it's like, yeah, this was, this was crazy. It was brand new and exciting. So I think the Metaverse as the concept in the core concept is that you actually have the digital twins out there and a different world, and you live and buy and do everything out there. It's way out there. Yeah. For for learning, we haven't even solved for the VR problems or AR problems. What is it good for? How do you implement that? Are you gonna send out boxes of put people's head all over, or what's what's going on with the hardware part of it? And so I don't think. We should be worried too much about metaverse yet. Again, it should be focused on what problems are we solving for? What are the guidelines? Uh, what is our vision? And then see how his technology would play in. But not definitely not how I'm gonna create content in the metaverse.
1: Yeah, <laughs> completely understandable. Again, it's also nascent so early. I think it is something that will be huge, but like you said, we can't even agree on what it is yet. Terminology, all kinds of things may change. In the future. I was just curious, you know, what your thoughts were on that. Cause I know you're looking at all of these things and have you know your finger on the pulse of a lot of technology and latest trends. So but we got to wrap things up here, Zolt. This has been a great conversation. I know there's many things we could go deeper on. If you are interested, if you're listening and interested in in learning more about some of the things that, that Jolt talked about, make sure you go connect with him, follow him on LinkedIn. He has many different articles out there in different places. You can Google his name, Jolt Ola, Z-S-O-L-T-O-L-A-H. And make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn as well if we're not already connected. Jolt, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to talking with you more soon.
0: Thank you so much, Randy, for having me. And everybody else who's out there listening to this now or post event, enjoy your meal and don't believe anything what I said.
1: (laughs) All right, take care.
0: Thanks.
1: Mike. All right. That will do it for my interview with Jolt Ola, who has over 20 years of innovation in the intersection of technology, data, learning science, and motivation. And there are just so many, so many topics that we could have gone into with Jolt. He writes about so many different things, but I'm glad we got a chance to get into data for storytelling and to really cover that post he made on LinkedIn, which was the six things l needs to give up in 2023 and beyond, as well as something what he's, some of what he's been talking about in the modern learning ecosystem, AI, the metaverse, all of that stuff. There's a lot more that you can find if you go follow him on LinkedIn, as well as check out his website. Uh, we'll put links to all of that in our show notes and hope you got value from that. I, I certainly did as well. And we're going to work on booking Jolt to come speak in our Talent Development Think Tank membership community later this year so he can share more on the work that he's doing in data analytics and people analytics and everything related to talent development. And we can ask questions, really, to really dig into how can we use this more in our roles in talent development. So if you're not a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community, I would encourage you to come check out our website and sign up today because we have calls Every week with guest speakers like Jolt and so many others that you've heard on the podcast, as well as a treasure trove of content recordings available in our member vault that can help you up your game, improve your capabilities and achieve more success in your career in talent development. So you can find all the information on our website, which is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And when you sign up, you can use the code podcast in the discount code field, type in podcast, and that will give you 10% off. So talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and podcast for 10% off. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned. In a couple days, I'll be releasing my bonus Q&A episode with Jolt, where I'll ask him about his biggest accomplishment, biggest failure as well as some of the challenges and trends that he is following in talent development. It's a whole nother great conversation that you don't want to miss. So I will talk to you then.